Hey there! Welcome to the What Connects Us podcast, where we explore human connection with people in the province. Today we're going deep with Tawny Sprachinski to talk about her journey through grief after her brother's sudden passing. It's a powerful episode, and one you don't want to miss. All right, everyone, I've just finished interviewing this week's guest, and it's hard to explain how I feel. Tawny Sprachinski joined me today for the interview you are about to hear. Uh, to talk about how her and her family's world turned upside down when she received the tragic news that her 18-year-old brother Taylor had drowned. On one hand, this is hands down one of my favorite conversations I've ever had on the podcast, because if you know Tawny, you know how she seamlessly finds humor in situations without shying away from the dark moments, and it leads to an instant connection with so much depth. Plus, the perspective and the wisdom that she's drawn from this situation is so valuable. And I'm just floored by the strength and vulnerability she showcased through this entire episode. On the other hand, you can imagine how emotionally intense this interview is, especially if you've ever encountered a sudden loss of a loved one. For me, my sudden loss was my dad. And it was so oddly comforting to chat with Tawny about our unique but shared experience while we revisited and sat with our grief again. The entire time we were recording, I completely forgot we were podcasting. And that's because of how well Tawny's story tells and, and brings you along when she reveals what she learned. You, you feel you are learning these lessons with her in real time. What Tawny and her family went through is... It's just unimaginable, but the perspective she shares with us is invaluable. We've gone through some pretty deep topics so far on this podcast, but we're truly breaking new ground with today's episode. So let's get comfortable with being uncomfortable and get this interview started. What connects us to Tawny? Let's find out. Tawny Sprachinski, welcome to the podcast. Thanks for having me, Mason. Before we started, we you told me the story about how we we should always tell people that uh, you're female <laughs> because uh, you've been confused in the drive-thru at Subway before. I have. I was called sir three times. <laughs> um, so before we get into your story, hit us with a quick introduction. So who is Tawny Smirchinski? Give us a, give me some background on who you are so we can better understand your story. Has anyone let you know that this is the hardest question? Yes. <laughs> I don't think it's supposed to be, but it is. I've done a couple of podcasts before and it is hard to like put yourself into a nutshell. I totally get it. And this is the one question you know that's coming. So you're like, I got to make this good. And should be the easiest. Yeah. So <laughs> Here we go, go ahead. <laughs> um, I'm from Edmonton, but I was raised in Regina. So I call Regina home. I live here with my partner and our two dogs. Um, I'm a human resources professional, super active. I don't like to be the person that talks about how active I am because I know how annoying <laughs> those people flexing. are. Yeah. yeah, Love to go outside and camp and fish and right. golf. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, we're pretty outdoorsy. Yeah. Um, what are your dog's names? Gary and Jesse. Gary. Oh, I love when animals get humans. My cat's name is Kevin. Right. Oh, they so, get along. Yeah, totally. So it's like you think of like middle-aged men's names <laughs> and you can put them on your dog. He turns 14 right away. So he's just like an actual old grumpy man whose right. name is Gary. Like, oh, it couldn't be better. Oh, that's awesome. Um, okay, so let's get into it. Before we do, I just want to uh, pose a really quick trigger warning for anyone listening. Uh, we're about to discuss the death of a loved one, and both Tawny and I are completely comfortable talking about our experiences with losing an immediate family member, but if this is a topic that impacts your mental health, please prioritize your own self-care and don't be afraid to turn the podcast off or skip ahead if you need. So, Tani, today's episode largely surrounds uh, the perspective you learned through grieving your brother's passing. Uh, before we talk about the tragedy, tell us a little bit about your brother, Taylor, and what your relationship was like. Well, he's the best. He didn't care about anything, almost to a fault. Right. <laughs> didn't care about rules, didn't care about school, but uh, he was just always having a good time, loved hanging out with his friends, loved video games. Um, he was always smiling. He just had a really good energy and did, like, didn't take things seriously, didn't care about material items. Right. Um, what was your relationship like with him? My relationship with him was, there's kind of, I like put it into two categories. So on one hand, we were just regular brother and sister and, you know, complained about our parents or fought, yeah. whatever, would go get Slurpees, yeah. uh, do the normal things. And then on the other hand, 
I was very paternalistic and I always felt like I knew what was best for him. Mm. And I set these impossibly high standards for people in my family. And so I spent a lot of time uh, trying to shape him into this person that I thought he was capable of being. Right. And And you were the older sister. I was. Yeah. I was three years older. Three years older. Yeah. Um, And I just like always had this, I always felt like a caregiver growing up and I just grew up with this like really mature sense and I just was almost righteous about it. And so in hindsight, I spent a lot of time trying to mold him when I should have just been celebrating who he was. And is it just you and your brother? Did you mm-hmm. have any other, just the just two, the of, two you? of us? Gotcha. Um, so July 14th, 2009 is a day you'll, you'll never forget and is something we all have nightmares about. So take me to that day and tell me what happened. So that day was a Tuesday and I can remember specific or certain parts of that day very specifically and in vivid detail. It was a cloudy and rainy stormy day, it like rained on and off. Mm. And I was at work. It was so Craven weekend had just finished mm. and I was back at work on the Tuesday and I worked at re- in retail at the time and we had a uh, back door where all the deliveries came and it was about half hour before we closed our doors and the back doorbell rang. And I re- remember thinking, that's weird. Who would be bringing a delivery Into the back at like door. six or whatever time yeah. it was? And so I was walking past and a coworker passed me and said, there's someone at the back door for you. Oh, that's weird. So I go back there and standing there was my boyfriend at the time, his mom and one of my best friends and his best friends as well. Mm-hmm. And they were all, the three of them were staring at me with like the most hor- horrific look on their face. Oh, their yeah. eyes were just wide and I can't remember what the, exactly what the conversation sounded like, but I think I said something like, what are you doing here? And they went on to say that Taylor had been out at Collingwood Estates, which is a, a resort near Rowan's Ravine. And he was swimming with friends and it was really rough and windy. And he went under and didn't come back up. And I do remember blurting out, so he's dead? Like I didn't, oh, I was, no. what are you telling me? Are yeah. you, so he was swimming and he's still swimming. Like I just didn't, it didn't come, yeah, yeah. I didn't understand and... I think someone like nodded or I think they kind of started crying. So yeah. the three have the three of them came because my parents had called and said, can you go get her? And then one person bring her, drive her car home. So yeah. um, took the drive back to my parents' house and walked where I lived, walked into the home and my parents were there and some family was there and a bunch of neighbors were there. And it was just this like surreal moment of mm. not really understanding exactly what had happened. And yeah, like there's just so many details, like what was he doing or are we sure? So I stayed there for a little bit, but there it was super overwhelming and there was just a lot of people staring at me and I oh. was not feeling social at that moment. Um, so I left for the night and so he went, he was swimming with friends and like, I guess wasn't a strong swimmer mm. and went a little bit too far, uh, went under, must've got some water, uh, started to panic. And so a friend swam out to help him and she mm. ended up like getting to him, but he was so panicky. Um, that she he started pushing her down yeah. and so she had to swim away to save herself and eventually had to let go of him and oh, and he went under so that was the tuesday and so i believe the rcmp were out but there wasn't like the water was super rough so there wasn't a bunch that they could do that yeah. day um so the next day we woke up super early and me and my family drove out to this resort um and got out there and every news camera van was out there oh ready to start filming it. And we met the RCMP and their uh, diving team out there. And we spent the whole day and it was a beautiful sunny day in July. I remember the day, it was so different than the day before. And we sat there all day while the divers went up and went down and tried to locate his body. Since uh, he, like, since it was so stormy the day before, lots of sediment had been brought up and um, there was a good chance that he was not necessarily where he was when he first went under. Uh, so we watched the divers all day and that was hands down the most exhausting day of my life. I can't even, it I was, can't even imagine. It was awful. And like when we started the day, it was five media vans, our family, tons of friends. And it was almost like a, a movie where they like uh, slow, mm-hmm. like slow-mo people out and yeah. people just kind of kept trailing off. And by the end, there was just a handful of us. Oh. And finally the RCMP let or the diving team let our family pick like what location do we want them to do their final dive of the day so as a family we got to pick where we thought and it's it's like might be hard um you're probably like that doesn't make any sense but that's very interesting as like I don't know anything about I'm not I never dove I obviously don't know anything about that profession but I remember watching and being so frustrated like why aren't they going over there 
why do they keep going in the same spot? I don't understand. And right. like, you're just so desperate. And like, I thought I understood yeah. where he would be. And so we got to pick the final dive location. They went down. Unfortunately, we're unable to recover him or find him. And yeah. so we packed up the car and drove home. And it was just the most defeated feeling. Yeah. Driving home, knowing that he, we left him out there. We hadn't found him. Mm-hmm. So it was very emotional. Um, went to sleep that night. Just really upset. And That's... I- I understand why they did that. That's almost to give you that closure mm-hmm. that like you did everything you could yes. and like you had a chance to to bring him home. Too. Yeah, it was a really nice gesture that they did. And like the RCMP and the dive team were incredible to work with. They mm-hmm. were um, so sensitive to our family and the situation. And then we knew that they would start the process again the next day. But uh, so the, by the Thursday, there was a fisherman out fishing. And uh, mm. by this time, Taylor had come up to the surface. And so right. he located him and an RCMP came to our house just before lunch and let us know that his body was recovered, which was just such um, such relief. And I, ha- I just have to say that for anyone that doesn't have that closure for families that don't recover bodies oh, or never yeah. find out what truly happened, I just feel sick. I can't imagine. It was awful enough. Um, it's like you're instinctually... Well, maybe he did it. Like yes. Maybe he did find like a life raft or something like that. Absolutely. Yeah. We, I'm on the, I think it was the first day when I was still at home um, that night, uh, someone from the media had gotten our phone number and a journalist called our house and my grandpa picked up and the journalist asked, well, you know, teenagers, like sometimes they just run away. How do you know that that's not what had happened? Are you kidding me? No, <laughs> my grandpa, not so politely told him where exactly where he should go. Yeah. Um, but that would have been such a real feeling if, we hadn't recovered his body. Like, totally. are you sure this happened? Yeah. Um, so it did. They recovered his body and someone, another, like a, an uncle went and identified him. So we knew it was him. Um, they did have to go through and complete an autopsy to yeah. ensure that there was no like rule out foul or foul play. Yeah. Um, and so the cause of death was determined what we believed it to be. Right. So that was like the Thursday, Friday ish. And then, yeah, that was like that whole story. I'm so sorry that happened. That is stuff that nightmares are made out of what was that feeling like do you remember when they they met you at um at your your place of work and do you remember just going through your mind like "Uh uh-oh this this isn't good i just remember being so confused so panicked like just uh like how i am right now like that that was just like that feeling running through your brain trying to understand like mm -hmm. he's gone he's never coming back do i miss him like just so like you almost couldn't process what you were feeling because there were so many thoughts yeah. running through your head. I can empathize with that. I can, obviously that is that is a horrible thing to happen to you. The closest I can is when when my dad passed away. The night it happened, he passed away at like I think it was like two a.m., three a.m., and then I had to go home and go to sleep. And I remember just like thinking, now what? Like, mm-hmm. How am I supposed to feel? Is this how yes. I thought I'd feel when one of my parents passed away? And you're you don't go into this like state of grief right away. You're in like almost like a a purgatory to be Mm -hmm. like, well, now what should I be summoning feelings? Like what does this feel like? Absolutely. And you just, you're not sure how you should feel, but you know, I like immediately started feeling a certain pressure of how I thought people would expect me to feel. Um, But I also stepped into like another caregiver role right right away. And so I didn't actually take a lot of time in those first few days to think about how I was feeling or worried about them. Um, I'm sure this is common. I don't know if you experienced this, but I went through this period of just being um, focusing on a lot of morbid details. So when I was supposed to be sleeping at night, I would be wondering if he was like, how did he, did he know this was happening? How did he feel? Was he yeah. scared? Was he thinking about us? I did too. Um, yeah. And I'm sure there's like science that proves that he was yeah. in an altered state of mind, yeah. but. You truly want to gather as much information as possible so that you can wrap your head around it mm-hmm. and, and kind of empathize with what they're going through. It's, I, I'm not a psychologist. I'm sure there is like something where you want to, you want to be able to relate to whoever passed at that moment. And I think part of it is you have so little control over the situation. So you want every detail because you want to wrap your head around what's going on. So you feel like you're in control. Absolutely. And that's just not something that's going to happen. People often say, I can't imagine what you're going through in times like this, because on top of wrapping your head around it, uh, you're planning a funeral, you are supporting your family, you are talking to work about bereavement leave, you are writing the obituary as well, on top of a hundred other things. Tell us where you even began and what you did in those first couple of weeks. As I mentioned, I kind of stepped into a caregiver role um, or planner role. My parents were, of course, devastated. Yeah. Um, and we didn't do a whole lot of 
um, the typical steps in the first few days. We were really focused on recovering his body. And so once we did that, then we started planning the funeral. So we were a few days late than traditionally you might, um, might have already seen. So we ended up at the funeral home and I made most of the decisions on the ha- behalf yeah. of my family, just so my parents weren't faced with that. So it's just so overwhelming. You're thinking about flowers and urns and yeah. we cremated him. And so we had to pick a, essentially a box. And yeah. for us, we just picked like the simple, least expensive one. Right. Um, but you're very conflicted because it's some of the last purchases you'll ever make for this individual. Yeah, it's like and their legacy too. Yeah, and yeah. so you like you want to celebrate them and you want them to feel special and you want to try to, again, fix it and control the situation. Yeah. So you want the best of everything because they deserve the best. Um, and so I, I tried to play, like be a voice of reason to, you know, maybe we don't, the box that's going to get burned yeah. can just be a wooden box and we're okay with yeah. that. And no, like no, for people that don't do that, I absolutely understand why that was just yeah. something that we chose to do. So there was lots of decisions like that. And you're 20 at this point, it, right? Yeah. I was just about to turn 21. Oh gosh. And just like and, you know, young, my focuses at that time were my friends and partying and yeah, it's, nothing to do with like mature life decisions. Totally. It's so nice that you did that for your parents because when a parent loses a child, the the circle of life is disrupted and that's hard for them to wrap their head around. But now you're taking, like your entire family dynamic is almost flipped on its head mm-hmm. where you are now making the decisions and that just must feel so chaotic, but it's what you have to do in the time, right? Exactly. And like you hear the phrase all the time, a parent should never have to bury a child. And yeah. like, of course that's true. And so when it happened, I just wanted to make things as easy as possible for my parents. Like Mm -hmm. those first few days were awful and they knew the rest of their lives were going to in some way be awful because of this. Um, So me, I was just trying to help where I could and not have them think about just little details that they probably couldn't wrap their head around. When you're trying to plan a funeral, you're making such big decisions over small things and you're in no state of mind to make any decision. Totally. People need to be telling you to eat. They need to be telling you to get sleep. Like someone needs to step in and remind you of these things. And then you're expected to make all these like life altering decisions, like hosting a funeral and what that looks like. And you don't sleep. Like you, I remember for about a week laying down and your mind is processing things at such a high rate that you don't, you feel like you've slept, but like six hours later, your eyes are open and you're like, I think I got a little bit of rest, but I'm not sure. But you're just, you're in such process mode that you don't really rest. Mm -hmm. And like the exhaustion hadn't set in yet. I remember I had fallen asleep a few days leading up to the funeral and I was doing the eulogy and I started having dreams about me doing the eulogy and not having my notes or me dropping my notes. And so I knew the anxiety was starting to form around me like having this role. And I remember thinking, okay, this funeral needs to be done because like I'm not sleeping. I'm it's creeping, it's taking over. And so I don't think I've probably got a good night's rest until yeah. like day nine or so once the funeral was over. And I'm sure that's super normal. What was it like to do the, the eulogy at your brother's funeral? I was really happy that I could do it. Um, I took the perspective of, I wanted to share my brother's story. And I also want to incorporate learnings and a message for those that were listening. Um, you know, when we're 20 or, or younger, we just feel like we're invincible and yeah. that like nothing would ever happen to us and this would never happen to our family. And so I got to share a message with all of his friends and my friends to say, you know, when our parents tell us to text us when we get there, it's not because they're trying to be annoying. Like it's for a reason. And, um, I just got to share some cool messages and I got to celebrate him. So I was happy I could do that. Yeah. What an honor that you were that person in his life that would be able to, to provide his legacy. Yeah. So we all think of the emotional impacts of managing loss and grief, but we rarely talk about the financial ones. We kind of talked about these decisions that you're making. But according to a 2019 study, the average cost of a funeral in Canada is $8,500. And you still have a mortgage and bills to pay when you are clearly not in the emotional space to be generating income. And I know there is bereavement leave in most workplaces, but that's typically only a couple of weeks. And another study I read said that 60%, that this is this is this was eye-opening to me. 60% of people felt pressure to return to work when they weren't ready due to financial pressure. Was this something that your family dealt with? Absolutely. For me, as I said, I just or I was about to turn 21 and I was living at home. So I didn't have a whole lot of financial responsibilities. So I stepped away from work and didn't have a lot of payments or anything I had to worry about. So I was able to stay off and not have that 
burden for myself. But if I had been living on my own or owned a house, it would have been much different. And I know um, you said sometimes people, you can get up to two weeks off and depending where you work, you might have, um, might be really privileged to have that. And some people get zero days, like zero paid days. It's nothing that's legislated. Um, so I had never heard of the word bereavement at the age of 20. No. Um, I don't think I had it because my work didn't pay it, but I definitely didn't ask about it. I right. didn't know what it was. Um, so I just took time. I just was not at work. Um, my dad and so my parents um, had single income between both of them. My dad worked and my mom was at home. And I remember a few weeks, like maybe it was a month after my mom came to me. My parents, uh, we didn't have a lot of money growing up. They lived paycheck to paycheck. And I remember my mom coming to me and saying, dad's paycheck for the last two weeks was $17. Oh. (laughs) I remember thinking, okay, well, I don't, can we eat? (laughs) Like, what, what do you mean? Like $17? I knew they were not in a position to be able to afford that much longer. Um, and so although your life is on pause and your world has been just completely turned upside down and everything seems to be halted, the rest of the world is moving forward. So your mortgage payments are coming out, your car payments are coming out, the bills are showing up. Um, none of that changes. And so whether you have an income or not, you still have all of these obligations to fulfill. Yeah. And aside from potentially having your income impacted, like you said, planning a funeral is very expensive. There's so many costs associated with it. Um, me, I tried to be as creative as possible. And we had a great experience with the funeral home we worked with. They yep. were so supportive and they treated us so well. Um, but they're also not volunteers. So they yep. are in, they're running a business, a business yep. and they are looking to generate revenue. So every time you pick an option, there's three to choose from and they only go up in cost. So yeah. there were some things that I did just to try to save money for my family. I, like we, we didn't actually select any floral arrangements. We had so many, um, flowers, flowers that yep. were sent. So we just took those to the church. Yep. Uh, we did small things like that. But aside from planning a funeral that is very costly there's just so many other little things that you don't think of and um like this didn't make or break my family but if you were in a financially compromised situation how many people are showing up to your house like we were constantly running out to buy more toilet paper napkins paper towels making sure you had the fridge was stocked with beer and uh, like those are costs that if you hadn't planned for people might not be able to afford that and it's It's something so so small but um that could mean people have to choose between paying their rent and buying food food a few weeks down the line when it kind of all catches up with them. So there's just a lot of things associated with losing someone that don't get brought up. We like, I think we're starting to talk about grief and its effects a lot more. Um, But I've never heard anyone say you need to account for buying three extra things of toilet paper. It's so true. um, That you wouldn't normally do. It's so true. And especially if you were going through like a cancer battle or something like that, where you're, you weren't giving a lot of attention to your home at the time. Now you're just wel- welcoming almost everybody in and your home might not be prepared to it. So you might have to rush out and grab all that sort of stuff. Mm-hmm. So looking back now, is there a way to proactively prepare for that intersection between managing loss and grief and the financial burden of losing a loved one? So I wouldn't say that I would go ahead and set up a like potential <laughs> funeral uh, yeah, like a uh, savings, savings account. account. Yeah. Um, but I do think like when... I'm pretty sure my parents didn't have significant savings. So um, they would have been paying for this funeral overnight with maybe not a lot of options or potentially credit. I don't know what it looked like. I never asked. Um, But I think when we talk about emergency savings, that's what that can be used for. So I really hope if you have an emergency savings, it goes towards a new set of tires or replacing your stove. And God forbid, if it does have to go towards planning a funeral, um, it's just one less stress you have to deal with. I can't like dealing with grief and the loss of a family or friend is so surreal and unbelievable when you're going through it to add a financial um, layer to it. It's just when people are already not sleeping and we know that finances keep people up at night and that's just a really, really uh, dirty mixture. Yeah, totally. In an interview we did with Brianna Zada, I think it was a couple episodes ago when she was talking about the cost of her battle with cancer, Mm -hmm. she said that through her experience, she learned that um, she she made a handbook for her to talk about death when Mm. she does if she does pass away with her with her family members, because that way she can choose whether she has egg salad or cucumber sandwiches (laughs) and that kind of fun stuff. But at the same time, that way it alleviates the pressure to level up the the cost of things because she says i want to be cremated then they don't feel like well we need to get the best coffin possible for brianne 
So it alleviates a lot of the financial stress because they don't feel that emotional pressure to, well, this is Brianne's legacy. We have to go out and spend as much as possible on it. I also think that there's a lot of expectations to do things a certain way. So I come from a very untraditional family and we just kept true to that through yeah. this process. So my parents didn't want, they we, they chose to cremate my brother, um, but they didn't put him in a columbarium or whatever yeah. those things are. They kept him at home for a long time. And um, after about 10 years, they chose to spread his ashes in different locations. Yeah. And I actually had a tough time with that. At first I thought that he, like when you die, you either have a plot and yeah. a headstone or you go into a specific little place somewhere um and one thing that my parents taught me is that like we don't there's this is awful enough like let's follow our own rule book and not feel pressure to do anything that we don't want to do and I'm really proud of them that they decided to do that um I'm sure there's like some boundaries of when things are getting unhealthy but they did that in a way that they really enjoyed and um my brother's high school we were able to put a bench and like a little pad down so there's still a spot for people that want to feel connected to him physically that they can go and visit that spot and it doesn't have to be at in a cemetery or anything like that so i i like that they did do that and they still have the urn and Mm -hmm. like they take it wherever their home is right i Um, love that that make your own rule book um because i think it makes you feel a lot more at ease with your instincts for how to grieve and almost allows you to feel natural about that entire process, which feels very unnatural if it's burying a, um, a child. Mm-hmm. Okay, let's take a quick break. While I was chatting with Tawny, I couldn't help but think what I could do to make sure things were as easy on my family when I pass as possible. Last month, I had just chatted with my financial advisor about the importance of wills. I reached out to my employee financial advisor, Gail Dagenet, who works out of the Humboldt branch and asked her to explain the same thing to you as she explained to me because it really lit a fire under my butt. So take it away, Gail. Let the good people know why wills are important and how to get started on one if you don't have one in place. Hey Mason, you're right. It isn't fun to think about, but it is something we need to think about and talk about. When you pass, it is the most difficult time your family is going to go through. By setting up a will, part of the process is you need to appoint an executor. This will ensure your wishes are carried out as you want them to be, and you need to appoint one in a legal will. While the family is grieving your loss, there's less red tape if you have a will. It'll save time and money as well for your loved ones. If you are ready to have a conversation, reach out to your financial advisor and work with a lawyer. This is your first step to protecting you and your family. Thanks, Gail. We all put off that conversation because it isn't fun to think about, but it's so important to have a will in place. Otherwise, things get pretty messy if something happens to you. Rip off that band-aid and have that conversation sooner rather than later and save your loved ones an extra headache during a really tough time. Speaking of which, we still have so much left in our interview with Tawny, so let's get back to it. So I remember showing up an hour late to my first day of work uh, because just like... It was like the social pressures yes. of walking in that door and getting the eyes from people. Do you know what I mean? It's by like, the eyes? Um, you know, when you come back from vacation and you <laughs> just like, can, can it be two days back from vacations? Everyone's like, how yeah. was it? How was the food? Like you answer the same question. You have that like a little bit of anxiety. It's yeah. like that amplified. Oh. You, you just want a shirt that says, hi, my brother died. <laughs> yeah, like, let, okay, we're good. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And you have so many people that handle it differently. Like you mm. have people that they're like, oh, they probably won't want to talk about it. So they'll like come and be like, so where are we with budget? Or you'll have people <laughs> that are just like, they'll come up like around the corner and be like, mm, yeah. they, you feel like an alien. You get yeah. like so many head tilts and like, yeah. everyone is head doing tilts. the best head that they tilts. can, yeah. but you feel like you are on display. Like I just felt like I was I don't know, like in the middle of a parade everywhere I went. Oh, exactly. Oh, a middle of the parade is the best way to put it because even if you aren't, you feel like everybody's standing on the sidelines, like watching you. With a spotlight and like your dress is tucked into your panties. (laughs) Exactly. And like a couple of uh, um, weeks into it still, you just feel like they're watching you to see like, well, is this when they break? Like, is Mm -hmm. this like you're almost being handled with like safety safety gloves what was that first day like back for you my first day back was interesting it was my only day back <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> just uh, one yeah. 
uh, again, I was lucky. I was very fortunate. I was living at home when I was 20. And um, when my brother passed away in July, I had already made plans to move to Vancouver in August because I oh, was okay. going to go to school out there. Right. And so me going back to work was basically just to save a bit more money before I moved and get back into some sort of normalcy. Um, but I did not, same thing, didn't want to go back. And like, I was ready, I think, to be around more people again yeah. and like feel like I was contributing and adding value. But I did not know what to expect from my coworkers and it, what, whether it was coworkers or friends, everyone is doing their best. They're doing yeah. the best they can. They're like, they have your best interests in mind, but no one knows what to do. Exactly. And Especially so, if they've never done, had anything like that happen to them. Yes. And so I worked, <laughs> I worked at Herbal Magic at the time. Okay. <laughs> Right on. Yeah. I was the worst employee. I used to hide mini eggs in my pocket. And then in between count, like weight loss coaching people, I would pop mini eggs in my pocket. <laughs> Obviously, it was not um, like a career driven at that time. Right. It wasn't like a long term job. They were amazing. They were a very supportive company to work for. And I had a great experience. But <laughs> I went back on day one and it was super awkward. No one knew how to deal with me. And I had a few of the clients that had came in and um, said really nice things. You know, like we saw your name in the paper and our um when my brother was missing we had our like our family was on the front page of the leader post for three days straight mm. you couldn't turn on a radio without hearing an update yeah. on the top of the hour every hour about the smirchinsky family and the 18 year old yeah. missing swimmer um and so like it was province-wide news and I, whether people knew it or not, I felt like everybody knew. Totally. And so everyone that came in and looked at me, even if they glanced and didn't know who I was, I was like, they know, yeah, they, know. Exactly. they know, they're thinking, they're, yeah. they're thinking about it. Like you're walking the aisles of Costco yeah. and they're just like, there she is. <laughs> like when Dan Clark was saying how people recognize him, that's yeah. how I felt, but like not, being, the eyes. You know, yeah, exactly. not being on the O-line. Yeah. <laughs> um, that's the girl whose brother died. Yeah, exactly. Um, and so that first day I was going okay. And then I just had a few clients that were, uh, so kind and so thoughtful and shared really nice messages about how much they were thinking of me. And mm. it was emotional. I just realized I was not ready to be there. So yeah. I went home and I called my boss and I said, you know, I only have two weeks left anyway. Mm. I think I just need to be at home. And yeah. so again, super fortunate. She was okay with it. Um, and so that was my first day back yeah, and the last, <laughs> and the last day, day back. back. Um, but my dad's was very different. He had to go back to work. Ugh. He, after that $17 paycheck, he'd ran out of paid time off leave options and he returned and I'm sure life was, he worked on the railroad and it was pretty like rough and gruff type yeah. of world. And so he probably just went back to work and in a safety sensitive role, that was a very dangerous thing to yeah. do. Um, but he did what he had to do to provide for our family. There are so many injuries that happen too when people aren't, aren't there. they're not in the emotional space to make safe decisions. A lot of them are impulsive or angry. So it leads them to do things that could cause injury to them as well. So it's, it's tough to go back, especially in like a manual labor job like that. It is. It's super risky. We know from research that uh, sleep deprivation, it can cause the same effects as being under the influence. Yep. And so couple that with the trauma and the stress of losing a son, like that would have been not, a, you know, that wouldn't have been a, a very safe situation for him totally. to be in. But that's that's what happened exactly so you work in human resources now so you've both experienced tremendous grief but also have supported others through it what advice could you offer about grief in the workplace for those who are or or may one day go through it i am uh appreciative that I, I know what it feels like because although all of our stories are different you just have a bond like you, I know you Mason, but mm -hmm. we don't know each other really well. But when I found out that you had lost your dad to cancer, we just immediately had this bond. And mm -hmm. I know you on a level that we could have never known each other so if true. we had known each other outside of loss yeah. for 15 years. And so um, I feel like I'm in a unique situation to support employees that are going through a situation. But my the way I always describe it, and this is my advice, not necessarily for someone going through it for them, but the people that are around them is five or six years ago, the catchphrase was check your baggage at the door. Yeah. And I think that's just a really outdated, unrealistic phrase. Um, we, we bring our lives into the workplace and who we are as people contribute to who we are as employees. Yeah. And if you are worried about the baggage you're bringing into the workplace, like there needs to be some balance, of course, but what I, what an arrogant statement. It is Leave arrogant. your baggage at the door yeah. and, and put, put our company first. Yeah. And by baggage, do you mean my 
past brother because <laughs> yeah, like exactly. that's not going to happen. Oh. Um, but I understand why. Like there's yeah. a priority, but I think for everyone supporting individuals that are returning into the workplace, there's lots of room to be empathetic. Ask for permission. Is this something you want to talk about? Like ask to lay those like lay ground rules. Yeah. Well, tell me when you need to talk or tell me when I'm asking too many questions. But for the person returning or thinking about going to the workplace, I encourage them to be open and honest, at least with their leader, yeah. um, to remind them that this isn't going to be just this like one step that the first day is hard. There's going to be a day on, you know, week one, week three, month seven, year eight. Exactly. Like grief is a process. We know grief doesn't end. Um, and so just to be open with those around you, or if you can at least find one person that you trust, I recommend having some sort of like buddy system for someone that you can call in that moment when you're struggling through it. So whether yeah. it's someone at your workplace that you can go see in the, your office or someone outside of your employer. Like an to, escape. Yeah, to call and say, like, I'm having a moment. I, I'm not going to leave work today, but I, I just need to work through this. I'm super emotional or I'm overwhelmed or I'm triggered. Yeah. Um, I think that would be helpful. But just to be really, like, kind to yourself. What you're going through is hard. And there's, we talked about this, there's no rule book. There's no right or wrong way. I mean, there's some ways that aren't healthy to deal with right. it we understand but everyone's journey is different and, and you, there's no timeline no too. It, there, it's different for everybody absolutely um so be prepared that it it might be hard and challenging but you've already shown that you're resilient and you'll make through like you'll get through the workplace piece and totally. if you aren't and you can't then you're gonna have to step back and take some time and like find the support that you need but yeah. just to give yourself a little bit of credit uh, I, and be kind. I loved what you what you said about you're resilient. And I started to take pride in that, well, I survived another day. I'm mm -hmm. getting better every day. And I felt like it took me at least a year and a half where I had sat with that trauma from dad's passing and where I, I truly felt like myself again. And I felt guilt-free about ha being happy. I remember driving down like Louvain and thinking like, oh, I'm having a good day. And then being like, I, but I shouldn't be. And it, mm. then you, you were like, okay, there's that grief again. Like you get comfortable with sitting in that, that, that hard space. What was that like, that transition back to normal life for you? Like it did feel like a transition. And as I said before, like I almost wanted a t-shirt. Like I wanted, mm -hmm. I just wanted everyone around me to know how I was feeling. So it felt like everyone else was living their normal lives, which I'm sure they had stuff going on too. But for me, I just I wanted them to know like, how are you just so normal when I have this going on? Like you don't understand how I feel. Uh, and then the other part was, is I'd, I felt so much expectations around what I thought people would want to see from me. Oh yeah. So I was supposed to be really sad and in moments that I wasn't, um, if you haven't noticed, I deal with, uh, stress or trauma through humor. Yeah. And so sometimes humor can be inappropriate when you're dealing with sensitive topics. Oh, and so I, I definitely had some moments of, yeah. of making others uncomfortable yeah. and I felt responsible for making them feel like to bring them out of that discomfort. Yeah. So I lot, felt a lot of pressure there. I remember thinking I should be crying more. I'm not crying enough. I sh I'm not sad enough today. I, mm -hmm. Like you're just so confused and you like, I want to make sure my parents knew I was sad and that I, it's not that I didn't miss my brother or anything like that. Mm -hmm. um, and I, so that becomes a lot of guilt. Yep. Uh, I remember like the weirdest day was feeling like, oh my God, it's three o'clock and I haven't thought about my brother. And I was so relieved. Totally. And then immediately horrified and carried so much guilt i mean like what do you mean i was happy and i was laughing this whole yep. time and so then exactly. for days after i was so guilty that i was able to move on with my life and i got to do all the things my brother would never get to do and that yeah. was really hard and like that continued on for a long time totally so my dad passed away six years ago and although i would never want to go through something like that again i feel like i earned so much perspective through that process what perspective did you earn through that time in your life Oh, so much perspective. So do you know who Beanie Feldstein is? I don't. She kind of took everything I've always said and she's, she said it much more eloquently, but you know, like we're in a, we're in a club. Mason, you and I are in this club. We didn't choose to be in this club. And I wish, no, I wish I was in it alone or not in it at all, but we're here. Yeah, we're in it together. For sure. um, but she describes it as grief glasses. And it's such a good description because from July 14th on, I had this new pair of prescription glasses mm. that I couldn't take off. I could tilt them forward. And I could look over them so I could see the world how I used to see it. And I could see the world how others see it. But I had to push them back up. And I was forced to look at them through this new lens that I 
didn't anticipate. Oh, that is powerful. It is. She she wrote an essay. You can find it in I think it's Vogue magazine yeah. online. Um, when you think about it that way, you just you're walking through this life, and the way she says it is, everything that's dark is darker, and everything that's bright is brighter. Yeah. So everything that's really good is amplified, and you see it, and it's beautiful, and then everything that's awful is worse. It's so true. Yeah, it's because you're so raw too. Like you, you feel extreme happiness. Everything is just mm-hmm. so extreme. I love that. I think it's comforting for those that are wearing these grief glasses yeah. to know that there, you share a prescription with someone else. Yeah. And then for those that don't, that under, they understand that, you know, like it, I didn't want my brother's death to define me. Yeah. I didn't want to be this one moment that just basically was the only thing that ever came up again. Yeah. But I, I wanted to learn from it and it had to be for something. I didn't want it to be for nothing. And yeah. so as, although I wish I could take these grief glosses off and never had to have worn them, yeah. what they've brought me, um, I've been able to use. And it's just brought me so much empathy. The way I look at people and what I think about is so different. Like it's, I, And I get really specific. So yeah. let's say I'm driving to work and someone cuts me off. I will actually think in my head before, yeah. like my initial thought is to like, swerve honk maybe drive up past them like do something ignorant or rude and then i pause and i think maybe that's a mother who lost her daughter and it's one year to today she doesn't get paid time off at work and so she's gonna drive and go to work because she has to and she swerved because she was wiping away her tears on her drive exactly and it's like it's specific but that's like that's just the level of empathy that i developed from losing my brother different especially being 20 yeah. I didn't have any empathy. I didn't yeah. care about anyone but myself at that time. For um, me too, it made me appreciate things like at the grocery store, they have like the parent parking spots mm. and you see people like, like swerve in there and then they'll pop out and there's just one person in there. And it makes me think I would never go into one of those things because yeah. like you empathize with those parents so much. It, and you carry with it, you carry that with you forever. Earlier last year when you could only have one family member in the grocery store at the time due to yeah. COVID restrictions, I heard so many complaints about, well, you see someone in there with like four or five kids and like maybe they, they did have the option, but maybe they didn't. Maybe yeah. they didn't have, like maybe they were a single parent and they couldn't afford a babysitter or they didn't have any family in the city that could come and take care of the kids. The and caregiver. if you think a single parent wants to go into a grocery store in the middle of a pandemic with five <laughs> yeah. kids, like I, I don't think they do. Um, yeah. But we're so quick to judge others. And I still do. I think like judgment is one of the my Uh, worst behaviors it's one of the hardest ones to shake but being more empathetic has helped me let go of some of that judgment and I just look at people in such a different way and I I just always give them that opportunity where I assume they're going through something and that that's why it's so true and I feel like you just naturally now don't take anything for granted Mm -hmm. especially life you see how quickly life can be taken from you like for me when dad passed away after seeing him on his deathbed It makes you think, well, when I'm on my deathbed, do I want to sit there thinking, I could have done this, I didn't do this. And that was part of the reason I came out, knowing that... Mm. Oh, I love that. Knowing that I could be sitting there being like, I just let my life go because I didn't even have the courage to dare greatly to to live my truth and my authenticity. So that's the gift that dad gave me, is that it allowed me to be authentic to myself and I know that like whether there is like somebody up there or or if he's watching or anything like that, I just know he's probably smiling knowing that the pain I went through was kind of worth it. He's for sure smiling. And I was actually thinking about the, this this morning that uh, I'm, I'm not religious, but I believe in some sort of afterlife. Yeah. And I, mm-hmm. I was thinking, you know what, I bet you your dad and my brother are sitting here watching us the most un- or odd couple to yeah. be hanging out on a Friday morning. But I love the thought of that. Um, we have two chairs beside us. They're probably heckling yeah. us right <laughs> now. Um, earlier this year, you posted a really touching tribute and acknowledgement for Taylor, where you shared the story of your last conversation with him. And I want to read a little bit about it or a little bit of it because it's really, it's really striking. 11 years ago today, Taylor drowned while out swimming with friends. This day is always important for me because it forces me to slow down, reflect, remember, and be intentional with grief, emotions, and memories. Sharing the story is the final step for me in releasing this demon and refocusing this energy into positivity. Wow. The weight of those words are so powerful. And I love the line about not running away from the anniversary and being intentional with grief. What does being intentional with grief mean to you? It's so interesting because there's a time, and I'm sure you'll remember, where your life was only grief. Yeah. You you woke up, you thought about it. Like, everything you did, you were consumed by this moment. And over time, it's like the pain decreases and you return to some sort of normal life. But as I said earlier, 
the grief is a process, so there's no end date. It doesn't suddenly like we don't just complete it and then we've yeah. <laughs> uh, we've graduated and yeah. can move on. Totally. Um, so for me, my brother will be gone 12 years this July, and like I think about him all the time, of course. And there, there's moments where I'm super super emotional, and I do go go through different seasons still 12 mm-hmm. years later. Um, but not every day is like that. And so for me, the anniversary is an opportunity to welcome back the emotions that I kind of carry all year that I don't necessarily recognize. Mm-hmm. Life's busy and I hate saying that, but yep. um, at a certain point you just, it's not your primary focus. Like my brother is no longer the person that if I have good news, I think about, yeah. I hate that, but uh, he's not he's like, we've, yeah. he hasn't been in my life or in like a physical presence in so long that he's almost like, and like, he's kind of like my permanent backseat yeah. um, buddy. And so because of that, you, I don't, I'm not intentional with it every day. Like I don't make space every single day to be emotional or go through it. It's just for me, that'd be too emotionally exhausting. And for some people that might be great. So every year on the anniversary, whether I'm in a great space during that week or that day, or I'm low, Mm -hmm. um, I just, I welcome it. And that means I'll revisit things like the slideshow from his funeral. I make sure I watch that once a year. Um, I spend a lot of time thinking about that day and that week and what that was like and what I've learned over the last year. And I always try to pinpoint something specific that I've learned from the previous year. Um, And I let myself be sad and emotional. It's not that I don't other times, but I just, sometimes you're fine. Like I'll, I might be fine for two months or three months and and I force myself to reface it and, and like go through that on that day. Um, and there's another side where I also want to celebrate him and like, I want to miss him. And sometimes I feel like I don't miss him enough because life just goes on. Yeah. I love the, uh, the symbol of the welcome, like almost placing a welcome mat out for, for that gift or perspective to, to, to refill you. And I, my definition of welcoming, um, that that grief is on father's day Mm, like it's it's not only do i have the anniversary of dad's death to deal with but father's day as well and christmas and things like that but doing things that always just kind of remind you a little bit about him and so dad loved golf and what's nice is that i think it's the us open it's a golf tournament that always falls on father's day i always watch that sunday because that's where i would be regardless so it's nice to feel a little bit connected i love that and i like i think there are certain things that we can do to be really symbolic so yeah. recently um i was working with a therapist and she told me i was working through like i really miss my grandma right now my yeah. grandma's been gone for i don't know seven years maybe and for some reason right now i just really miss her more than normal mm-hmm. and so she told me to buy a candle a candle that's representative of her mm-hmm. and every day take 10 minutes and burn it for 10 minutes and talk about her or like share recipes, whatever it is. And then like, it's okay to take that intentional time for 10 minutes a day to do that and see how you feel after a week. And you might feel like really fulfilled and happy with those memories. Mm -hmm. But I want to go back to what you're saying around Christmas, because I think that's one of the biggest things that I learned and that stood out for me was, so we were prepared, our family was preparing for Christmas. Like this is going to be the worst Christmas. This is going to be so depressing. And it was hard, yeah. but we had started thinking about it in like October. Mm-hmm. And so although it was hard, we braced ourselves for it, but we were all together. So, yeah. I mean, there was still like some comfort there. It was the day-to-day realities I found way more challenging. Oh, really? So I felt like there's things that happen that you are not expecting that hit you like a oh. bucket of ice cold water. And it's yeah. the things like getting a phone call three months later. This is a reminder that Taylor has a dentist appointment next Friday. Oh. Boom. It's, you know, you find a sock in the laundry a couple yeah. months later that had got trapped in something. Yeah. Boom. Like yeah. again, blast of water. Oh. You get something in the mail or you run into someone that whatever it is, there's just these small things that happen and it's, you almost need to go through like a full year or like all the seasons and some of that wears off and yeah. over time it gets better. But in that first year, it's super raw and it's always unexpected. And it's right when you think you're doing good. That's what is so, exactly. you, I don't want to say funny because yeah. like nothing about grief is really that funny, but grief is funny in the sense of when you're it good, yeah. you, you're like, I'm feeling good. I'm working, or... like I'm, I'm doing good. And then boom, something hits you and takes you back and you yeah. feel like you're at day one. And it's so confusing. And for those that are around you, it's hard to it's hard to articulate for, to them so they understand because they've seen you do really well yeah. for a long period of time and you don't want to concern them uh, but you're you're not okay in that moment and it might be yeah. eight months later it could be two years and you feel like you're supposed to be over it yeah. or you feel like you're supposed to be at a certain point in your grieving process yeah. and when you like backtrack which is normal 
it's confusing. It is confusing. It's it's so funny you say that the timing of things, right when you feel like you're up, like it will like strike you down and like remind you of your place. For me, it was uh, after dad passed away. It was like two months after I went from just sitting by myself. It sounds it sounds weird, but like I feel like I would just sit by myself and listen to music and mm. that's how I would kind of process it. I remember being like, I'm ready to go back to TV. I'm going to start TV again. And I watched Grey's Anatomy. And this might be a spoiler alert for anybody, <laughs> but like if it's been a couple of years. So I'm sure it's yeah, not. So it was the episode. And I, I kid you not that Derek had his sudden passing. Like, so it was. And it, and as if Grey's isn't just pulling at every heartstring it, you yeah. already have. <laughs> exactly. But it was like when like Meredith is like with him saying, you can go. Like we said the same thing. And it was, I I turned it off immediately. I, I tried to go up the stairs and I sat on the stairs for like two hours bawling. But it, it, it was that reminder of just being like, oh, you thought you were, you could shout TV now? <laughs> no. <Yeah. laughs> like, take, a, just take a seat on the stairs and, and sit with this a little bit longer. Well, and I think there's another, like you always, you feel personally attacked anytime you hear something that like slightly relates to your story so uh, my partner now that I'm with he's so supportive and I give him so much credit because he wasn't around through that process so he never got to meet my brother um, but he's done this phenomenal job of supporting me and talking like we I tell stories but he doesn't know him and so I'm it's probably very challenging but the second we're watching tv and it's something about a sibling or anything to do with a brother we're both just like we freeze up (laughs) and you just like it's I feel attacked yeah totally (laughs) exactly um so going back to what you posted I also love the empowerment and the intention of stating that this is the final step in releasing this demon and that guilt that you felt and I because I think a lot of us focus whether or not it is um, an immediate family member or somebody you knew, you focus on that last moment you had with them and you place a lot of guilt on yourself. How did you move through that and finally make peace with it? One of the quickest things that I learned after my brother passed away was how important relationships were. And one of the first ones I had to look at was my relationship with Taylor. Mm-hmm. And I wasn't proud of it. As I told you before, I was right. paternalistic and I just thought I knew what was best for him. And I had so much regret around the time I wasted judging him or trying to change him and just not having more fun with him. He was like, I remember one time I came home and my parents had said like no friends over and he had a friend over and I just was like, why do you have a friend over? Yeah. Who cares? Like, I just, I wish I would have been like, sweet, you have a friend over. That's cool. Like now, like, why did I care about that? It was so stupid, but you just, you don't live every moment. Like something could happen until something has happened. Moving past that was hard for me because like, as I said, I had a lot of regret in the relationship I had with him, but the last interaction with my brother is not one that I'm proud of. Mm. It was, as I mentioned, so he uh, passed around the Tuesday and Craven was the weekend before and his birthday was on the se- the previous Saturday. And I had come home on the Friday to quickly shower up and whatever, eat. And then and he was there and he was super excited. He'd already got, I went home and gave him his gift and he opened it and he was excited. And he was showing me all these other things that he got. And he was so excited to show me all the stuff he got. And I remember being like, oh yeah, cool, cool. Like, okay. Like let's wrap this up. I got to yeah. go. Like I have places to be. And right. um, like, I'm really embarrassed. <laughs> it was really embarrassing and hard for me to accept that the last interaction with my brother was me dem- just being the most selfish and uh, self-centered and a thoughtless person on someone's birthday. Yeah. <laughs> um, so that was really hard to work through. And I didn't work through that in the first year or like mm. I didn't come to terms with that for uh, probably nine or 10 years. And I barely told anyone. Mm. I was so mortified with my behavior and it took me a long time. And, you know, if I told anyone, of course, everyone's going to say, oh, he knows you love him. Yeah. yeah, I know that. But like, tell tell that to someone that's feeling that they were inauthentic and not genuine in the very last interaction they had with that person. So that was really hard to work through. But as I said, every year I reflect on that day and I try to learn something from the year before. And a few years ago, I finally forced myself to spend that next year getting over what I felt like I had done Mm -hmm. and accepting it and working through it. And so the the post that you have been reading from that, when I say that was my final step, that was that, that was like a demon that haunted me for years. And now everyone knows. And there's like, there's, I'm, I've put it out there. I've uh, accepted it. And there's days that I wish I could change that. My mom had a really cool experience 
the day, I think it was the day before my brother went out to the lake. He was like, mom, I'm bored. Let's go get a Slurpee or something. And she had this like really cool day with my brother that she probably didn't get very often. So I love that she had that. Yeah. And I, like, I wish I did and, but I don't, and Mm -hmm. I'm okay with that now, but it took a lot of time. It took therapy. It took talking about it. Um, and it took a lot of introspection and I tell everyone else to be kind to themselves. And I had to finally take my own advice and totally do and, that and you never know what how he felt about that conversation too like he could have been like oh okay that was so nice to talk to tawny before she left right so he probably had no idea he probably had no idea but you put that that, that pressure on that last conversation and just because you, you pack it away doesn't mean it can't come back and even as we're talking like i get to see you and um people listening to this won't be able to see how even just your body language as you worked through, mm. you you could see yourself um, working through it again. And it was empowering to watch um, you be able to share that, that vulnerability, but also the fact that you were just proud of the progress you've made. And we don't give ourselves enough credit when it comes to our battle scars and our resilience. Mm. And it's, it's very powerful to watch somebody um, remind themselves of their resilience. So thank you for sharing that with us. Where are you now in your journey with grief? What would you tell someone who is just beginning this time in their life or feels stuck in their own journey? As I mentioned, I'm going through this unexpected phase where I'm really grieving my grandma again. And um, my mom they, or my parents moved. And so they found this really cool book that my grandma made for me when I was a baby. And they'd never, no one ever gave it to me. Yeah. Uh, so I've been going through that and I've been connecting with her a lot. But my where I'm at right now is I'm just at, um, I'm in my process and or at a, I'm at a season that I'm kind of in like a low tide. Yeah. Uh, things are calm. I, I've been feeling nostalgic, but I am not super emotional, but I also know that that will change and there will be moments that come up in a wave that hits me in the future where I'm, uh, super, you know, emotional about my brother. And I think I'm also in this like lull or as we all are, some of us are from COVID where not much has changed. Like I haven't had a lot of life events. Mm-hmm. And so, when I think when something really big happens again or something big or um, exciting, I might enter into a new season of grief with my brother because there's uh, another way that I miss him. And I think that um, one, a a part of the process for me, and this is common to hear when people lose a sibling is the day that my brother died, I felt like both my parents died. Yeah, Uh, I lost, like they lost such a, big part of them that day that there was for years I felt like I was grieving three man three family members I felt like I didn't have any immediate family um and it was really hard to watch my parents go through that Mm. and just not I don't want to use use the term bounce back but they were just stuck in their grief for so long and it was really hard to watch and I did I just felt like I was grieving three family members because they were there but they weren't really there yeah And so that was its own separate part of the process of working through, having them work through it and hope that they would come out and they have. They're these amazing people that have been through more than they should have ever had to go through. And I'm so proud of them for who they are. But that was really hard at the beginning. So for anyone that's feeling that way, I just want you to know that you're not alone. And it might not have been a sibling, but there might be someone else in your life that you feel you're grieving as well because Mm -hmm. they because of their reaction. Um, And my advice to anyone that is along their process or maybe unfortunately just starting one is again, to be kind to yourself um, and look for support. There's, I hope there's lots of people reaching out with support, but when we talked about bereavement leave before, that was something I didn't know. And I also didn't know what therapy was. I'd heard of it, but I didn't know anything about it. I didn't go, no one mentioned that I should go or suggested it. And it was about five years into um, my grief process when I learned about the Greystone Bereavement Center in Regina. And I went to my very first group counseling session. Mm-hmm. And it's just, a, as it sounds, a group counseling session. And that changed my life. Uh, I now volunteer with them and I help run that. And it's not for everyone, right. um, but that's something that worked for me. I've also seen individual therapists and that worked. But I didn't do that until year five. And I always wonder how different would my journey been or how quicker would I work through some of this stuff if I had done that and I know there's often costs associated with a lot of these practitioners so uh, I encourage you to look for free resources like there's lots of books and podcasts I found helpful the SHA or like palliative care services they like they will refer you to someone that can work through counseling with you one-on-one following the loss of a loved one or group 
counseling as well um, and find a community. So as I mentioned, like you and I are wearing these grief glasses yeah. and it's really, it sucks that we both are, but like there's a community of us together and look for someone that understands uh, because you just don't feel like you just feel like less of an outsider when you're surrounded by people that understand how you're, what you're going through. So maybe yeah. that's a Facebook group or there's a podcast called Griefcast, and it's out of the UK and they deal with uh, grief through humor. And so they interview other comedians and oh, I find yeah. a lot of comf- comfort in that. Yep. And, um, some of the, my favorite books that I've read haven't been the ones about like, grief with a wilting flower on the cover oh, yeah. and the, 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 there's great content oh, don't get me wrong mean. and yeah. it's sometimes it's just hard to connect with some of that stuff because yeah. that's just not how i process things yeah. and that's not how i relate to things so um who, like whoever you are whatever it is that you're going through i just encourage you to find something that works for you mm-hmm. um and hopefully you can be open to something so maybe therapy isn't something that you're normally open to but try it once or twice mm-hmm. and see how it changes um you because it's, it absolutely changed my life yeah Speaking of changing lives, like I'm so thankful for this conversation. Thank you so much for being so open and vulnerable and courageous. This is not something that's easy to talk about. And I think what you just packaged and and gave the gift of is just perspective um, and just your story is just super empowering. And we talk about grief glasses. I I see you through mine um, and it's it's the connection we have through going through things like this, it's empowering to know that other people, we have that unspoken connection that we've, we've seen things, different stories, different versions of grief. Um, but the empathy that comes with it is, I'm, I'm very thankful for it. And I'm very thankful for you. Well, and Thank thanks you. to you. I think by default, you were forced into this conversation yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and having to talk about your dad. I know that's not easy. And yeah. um, I love hearing your story about like how you changed as a person and how it like your trajectories changed either way yeah. and, and you took it and you made a life decision to let other people in on a f- chapter of your life that n- you lived in secret. And yeah. I'm like, I don't have the right, but I'm really proud of you. Um, and yeah, I, oh. I'm happy that we share and wear the same prescription. For sure. Oh, I love this like analogy that kind of came out of nowhere. So before we let you go, Let's connect on something a little bit more surface level, a little bit more. Well, you don't want to leave the listeners on this. <laughs> so thanks uh, for coming, everybody. <laughs> yeah, so that is the end. No, I have a few questions for you that oh, a different way to connect with you um, on some surface. Some lighthearted, lighthearted topics, shall sure. we? So the first one. Wait, your... I, wait, remember I said that how do I introduce myself is the hardest part? Yeah. I lied. This is going to be the hardest <laughs> part. I will be so judged on what I, not what I just talked about, what I say in these answers. There are people who have like messaged me after being like, I said this and I don't even like that bad. <laughs> <laughs> like, I just felt like I needed to say something at that time. You um, will for sure get an apology from me <laughs> after this or some sort of request to, can I change my answer? Okay. So the first one, what is your first concert? <laughs> the Moffats nice. at the Connexus Arts center <laughs> what was their song like bang bang, bang, bang boom, boom. <laughs> what like that is like a ytv hit list like all-star band i love that i don't know what the concert was because they only <laughs> had one song so yeah. i can't i don't know if i just went for like the opening closing and encore yeah. all in five minutes <laughs> they just but... did the same song on loop but wait you, you have to tell me yours oh mine was kaylin porter <laughs> Like the winner of Canadian American or Canadian. Yeah. Do you want to know who my was, second? Was he the winner? Was he was he the, the winner. winner yeah. Saskatchewan's own Teresa Sakarica got second place, okay. but my my mom and I watched Kaylin Porter and, and like sorry Teresa, but we 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 were fans of Kaylin. Guess what my second concert was? <laughs> I can't guess. Kaylin Porter. <laughs> <laughs> Just couldn't get enough. <laughs> Oh, that. That's amazing. I wonder where Kaylin is now. Who knows? <laughs> Hopefully listening to this podcast. Yeah, Ky- what's up, Kaylin? Uh, <laughs> uh, question number two. What's a bad habit that you've always had? Oh, I like I don't bite my fingernails, yeah. but I pick you pick the at them. Skin. Yeah, I'm like showing you mine. Oh I have them. Yeah, it's the worst, and you can tell if I'm nervous or anxious. I was very, thanks for making me comfortable because there's no dead skin around. That this is so gross. I can't <laughs> believe I just said that. <laughs> my partner hate Jory. It drives him because it like it's like the flicking. And if I'm sitting on the couch flicking, yeah, he's like, stop it. This is so funny because as I was writing these questions, I had how I pick at like my bleeding. nails. <laughs> And the um, when I when I get anxious, and that led me to the next question oh, of what do you do when you get anxious or nervous? <laughs> <laughs> we'll just leave it. Two we birds, know. one stone. <laughs> <laughs> wow, that's funny. Same wavelength. Okay, next question. One about hopefully less dead skin. Um, 
a movie you could watch over and over. Uh, remember the Titans? Oh yeah, that's a good one. Yeah, I like like I I don't I don't like watching new movies. That's yeah. like a weird thing. I like watching Remember the Titans. I like watching Ferris Bueller's Day Off. Yeah. Sex and the City movie. Like yeah. I watch the same ones and it brings me comfort. I don't like new ones. And Remember the Titans is was before its time. Like, I agree, it and, was. And, and super pertinent to right now with their entire themes of racism and, and, and overcoming that in connection. Great movie. It's on Disney Plus too. I just oh watched God. it. Yeah, it's so good. Why am I not surprised you have Disney Plus? <laughs> <laughs> Love Disney movies and the songs that come with them. Uh, next question. Which clique were you a part of in high school? Oh, I hate this answer. Yeah. The popular one. <laughs> were you the popular girl? <laughs> what did you oh, wear? Oh, what did I wear? Yeah. You know exactly what I wore. I wore like Roxy or Billabong yeah. t-shirts with a Nixon belt, yeah. mauve jeans that were flared with skater shoes, did and I never the... touched a skateboard in my life. Did you have like a rainbow belt too? No, it was like a Nixon belt a with, Nixon a, with belt? a big oversized belt yeah, buckle. for sure. Something you learned at an embarrassingly old age. That it's uh, wind chill, not windshield. <laughs> what? So like, it was like, with the windshield, it's minus 45. <laughs> I learned that way too late in life. Like a windshield, like in a car? Yeah. Like, <laughs> Sounds the same. Yeah, yeah I, I just like, never how, thought about how it. How did you rationalize it? You just thought. I didn't have to. I thought that wasn't the word. It's not like I was like, oh, I know it's the other word, but I'm going to choose to say it this way. It was like, with the windshield, it is uh, minus 43. Oh, it's so funny. What's yours? Uh, I, mine is macadamia nut. I thought it was macadamia Oh, you nut. I had the N and then. Well, also, that's just stupid. Also, <laughs> just kidding. <laughs> what else? Uh, last one. What connects us? Shared experiences. Oh, you were ready for this one. Yeah. You, you've listened to this before. <laughs> you, you knew it was coming. Like, don't sound stupid when you ask this question. He's asked every single uh, person that's been on. Yeah. And I think shared experiences, because you can. I just have like spent so much time the last year thinking of how much divide there is between people and you can have polar opposite political beliefs or believe in science or not believe in science, whatever you do. And you'll still be connected to someone that you think you might hate or yeah. not appreciate through some sort of shared experience. And look at us. Yeah, totally. You may have, I mean, we same. don't hate each other. Exactly. I think yeah. we probably share <laughs> similar beliefs. Look, we hate each other, <laughs> but we both experience loss. Yeah. So we like each other now. Um, but it's true. Yeah. Like you talked about the prescription glasses, um, you have no idea what glasses people are wearing. Um, but I feel like sometimes if you're wearing your glasses, you can see that the other people have the same glasses on. And it's it's nice to, to, to share fashion. I don't know where I'm going with this. Fashion. <laughs> um, Tawny, thank you. I feel like I've laughed a lot in this podcast. And if you were to look at the label of this podcast and think this is going to be something where people laugh about, um, but I think it's indicative of of trauma. And when you go through it and as you move through it, um, you you can you can grieve in a number of different ways. And humor is is part of how you move through it and how I move through it as well. And um, what you've what you've shared is, like I said, I'm, it's going to sit with me for a while because your vulnerability and your courage to share it. Yeah, you're just incredibly strong. So thank you so much for being here. Thanks for having me. Well, that's it for this week's episode of the What Connects Us podcast. We'll be back in two weeks with another episode. If you like the podcast, please do us a favor and hit the subscribe or follow button and give the post a like, comment, or a share. We'll see you in two weeks. Until then, Tony and I are going to go try on some new frames. Yeah.